Well done. Well, we are in the book of Judges, God to the Rescue. Why does God have to rescue uh, his chosen people again and again and again and again? Because they keep drifting and falling and failing, just like us. Uh, Judges is a gritty book (laughs) full of blood and guts and treachery and failure. It's also a book in God's word that's full of heroes and deliverance and grace. Now, after we get going, you're going to be asking, because I know I have, why on earth is this book in the word of God? Why is it even here? And the answer is because it's in the Bible because it's the gospel. It is the gospel in the Old Testament. This is how Pastor Tim Keller, who just got uh, promoted to be with the Lord, one of my favorites, here's what he says. We'll put that up here. The Bible is not a book of virtues or a book of inspirational stories or a book that just gives us nice moral examples. There's only one hero in this book, and he is divine. This book is about God. He's merciful, long-suffering, and he continually works in and through us despite our constant resistance to his purposes. God continually shows up, rescues his undeserving people out of their latest mess of sin, and this speaks to our lives today okay the god of the bible that saves sinners in the old testament continues to seek and save and deliver sinners in 2023 just like you just like me okay judges really is a picture of god's chosen people surrounded by lots of pagan forces lots of pagan uh, unbiblical thinking surrounded by a spider web of belief systems and it shouts you got to tolerate everybody Uh, all religions all belief systems they're all equal there are lots of roads to God shouts the culture and as a result Judges 17.6 Israel did whatever seemed right in their own eyes they, they made their own rules, called their own shots, created their own little G-gods, and uh, it, it's a mess. So we're going to look at a mess these next 11 weeks. Judges covers about 350 years between Joshua and 1 Samuel, and it shows us a cycle of unbelief, a cycle of unbelief that honestly, Henry's within all of us. We're all get stuck in this cycle. Here's the cycle. Let me explain. Okay? Uh, The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot about Jehovah God, and they served idols. The anger of the Lord was hot against them. The children of Israel now face judgment and oppressors, They cry out to God, Lord, help us, save us. We need your mercy and your grace. And the Lord sends a deliverer, a judge, to the rescue. That happens seven different times in the book of Judges. 
a cycle of disobedience again and again and again. They, they literally were in the spin cycle of sin, and, and it just happened over and over again. Now, before we move into Judges chapter 1 today, I'd like to answer a question that usually somebody's honest enough to ask whenever we're in the old section, uh, the Old Testament. Someone says, um, Pastor Jeff, why are we studying the old section of the Bible? Why would we uh, spend so much time looking back? Because we're not Jews in Israel worshiping at the temple anymore. Why should the church bother with the first 39 books when we've got the 27 new books for our benefit? Why even bother with those first 39? So I'd like to give you a couple New Testament answers to that good question. Okay, Jamie already mentioned this verse, which is interesting. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Now here's what you need to understand. When Paul wrote those words down, there was no New Testament. (laughs) So when Paul wrote those words down, it's all inspired, it's all profitable. The only scriptures he had as he wrote that down was the Old Testament. The New Testament canon had not yet been formed yet. So he's talking about the Old Testament is profitable for teaching and correction and training and instruction. Let me give you another verse. Uh, Romans 15 in verse 4, Paul explains, such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. Again, when Paul wrote this down to the church at Rome, to the church at Walloon, there was no New Testament formed yet. He's talking about the Old Testament scriptures, and he tells us the Old Testament, the book of Judges, teaches us to endure in Christ. Okay? When we get tired and weary and we want to give up, it's the Scriptures, specifically the Old Testament, that brings us hope and teaches us and challenges us to endure and learn patience. My prayer, my prayer for these next 11 weeks in our summer series in the book of Judges, that we'll be encouraged, that we'll be reminded to endure and patiently abide and walk closely with our rescuer and in his name is Jesus Christ our rescuer is none other than Jesus um, you ready to start ready to go Jose can we go now okay we're gonna jump right in at the very beginning judges 1 verse 1 says this after the death of Joshua The Israelites asked the Lord which tribe should go first 
to drive out the Canaanites. Um, now, let's just pause right there. Verse 1, Moses got the children of God out of Egypt, and then they wandered in the wilderness. How long did they wander? Forty years. Okay. Uh, Moses dies, and Moses' hand-picked successor was Joshua. Verse 1. Okay. Uh, now it says, verse 1, after the death of Joshua, Joshua has died. Uh, the previous book to Judges is named after him. And Joshua is the story of victory after victory after victory with a few stumbles. Okay, They didn't do it perfectly, the children of Israel, but, but overall, in faith, they took possession of the land. Okay? The promised land is now given to Israel. Joshua, their leader, has died. Okay? Most of the heavy lifting is done. Most commentators suggest about 80% of the land was now in the children of Israel's possession. Okay? 80%. Okay? Now, while Joshua is positive and victorious, and the people are excited, they're courageous, they're filled with faith. The book of Judges, God's chosen people, are comfortable. We're going to see in the book of Judges, God's chosen people are content. They are settled. They are apathetic. They are on cruise control. Do you understand? They, they were pretty happy with 80% of their land. Okay? They're coasting along nicely. Joshua, their leader, has died. They've got 80% of the land. We've got a solid B+. How many of you say B+, is a pretty good grade? I'm okay with that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's my hand up there too. I'm a B-plus guy, yeah. Why, why kill yourself for an A when you got a B? That's exactly what's going on here in Joshua, okay? Judges... Chapter 1 and verse 2, excuse me, Judges says to his people, The Lord answered Judah, for I have given them victory over the land. So who's going to go first? Judah, the tribe of Judah. And if you read, if you have uh, your Bibles or on your phone, you'll see that verses 3 through 20, Judah mostly obeys. Judah mostly with a little bit of uh, added to what God said. Uh, God's plan, they go and they take the land that belongs to Judah. They do it mostly as God had prescribed. Okay, So the tribe of Judah starts strong. Let's see how the other tribes do. Okay, uh, If you have your Bible, we're going to go to verse 27 and down through verse 36. And we're going to look at how the other tribes do. Okay, before I have you stand, if you're able, and read with me, I, I need to give you a little warning. You ready? Can you handle the warning? Lots of big, difficult, hairy names of towns and people. Okay, so I promise you that preachers don't know how to pronounce them either. So here's what they taught us in seminary. Okay, you ready? Say it fast. Say it with confidence. Nobody knows the difference. That's the truth. 
Stand with me if you're able. Let's read out loud together. Start with verse 27. Here we go. Okay? Again, fast and confidence. The tribe of Manasseh failed to drive out the people living in Bethshan, Tanakh, Dor, Iblium, Megiddo, and all their surrounding settlements because the Canaanites were determined to stay in that region. When the Israelites grew stronger, they forced the Canaanites to work as slaves, but they never did drive them completely out of the land. The tribe of Ephraim failed to drive out the Canaanites living in Gezer, so the Canaanites continued to live there among them. The tribe of Zebulun failed to drive out the residents of Ketron and Nahalol, so the Canaanites continued to live among them. But the Canaanites were forced to work as slaves for the people of Zebulun. The tribe of Asher failed to drive out the residents of Echo, Sidon, Ahalabib, Gzeb, Helbah, Aphik, and Rehob. <laughs> Instead, the people of Asher moved in among the Canaanites, who controlled the land, for they failed to drive them out. Likewise, the tribe of Naphtali failed to drive out the residents of Beth Shemesh and Beth Anath. Instead, they moved in among the Canaanites, who controlled the land. Nevertheless, the people of Beth Shemesh and Beth Amath were forced to work as slaves for the people of Naphtali. As for the tribe of Dan, the Amorites forced them back into the hill country and would not let them come down into the plains. The Amorites were determined to stay in Mount Harris, Ajalon, and Shalabim. But when the descendants of Joseph became stronger, they forced the Amorites to work as slaves. The boundary of the Amorites ran from Scorpion Pass to Selah and continued upward from there. Nice job. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you that we get to learn some lessons today from your book, from the old section. And I'm praying, Lord, that as we begin this new series, would you show us, starting today, how much the day of the judges is so much like 2023 in the U.S. We have a lot to learn from. Thank you for inspiring these words. Thank you for showing us how real and how ordinary people, children of, of Jehovah, got comfy and cozy and content just like we can. So Lord, uh, we invite your spirit to be welcome today in your church. We need you. Uh, may your spirit and your book speak loud and clear to our hearts and our minds today. And all the church family at Walloon Lake said with one united voice, can be seated. We're going to do a little review of what we just read. Now, I, I just want you to know, I, I, I recognize now where the old term old geezers come from. It's right, right here. Old geezers lived in that town. Okay, has nothing to do with the sermon. Back to the text. Judges chapter 1, 
verses 3 to 20, Judah obeys mostly. They got some help, but they fought and they win decisively. Okay? Now let's work our way down. Verses 21 to 26, Judges 1, the tribe of Benjamin fights their enemies and they sort of fight to a draw. Uh, it seems like they fought, neither side really won. Judges 1, verse 27, the tribe of Manasseh, and just pause, they saw Jehovah God clear the promised land for his chosen people like everyone did. Manasseh refuses to fight and take their land that God had promised to give them. Why? Why did Manasseh refuse to fight? It says, verse 27, because the enemy was determined and tough and they were just too comfortable to drive out their foes. They weren't willing to make the effort. Verse 29, the tribe of Ephraim, they too saw the walls of Jericho fall. They saw God's amazing victory for them and the tribe of Ephraim also refuses to fight for the land that Jehovah God had promised. It's yours. Go take it. They too refused to fight for their land. Why? Because they were content. They, 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 they were, they were a very cozy and, and doing just fine and they just allowed their adversaries to stay. Verse 30, Judges chapter 1. The tribe of Zebulun chose not to listen to the clear command of God. Go take your land. I promise you victory, even though they had eaten of the manna and the quail for 40 years. They had saw God's marvelous provision. They were not willing to fight. Why not? They were settled. They were apathetic. They didn't want to fight. They were pretty lukewarm. They really were. Verses 31 and 32. Keep going with me. The tribe of Asher also refused to fight. Even though, track with me, as they walked in the wilderness, they saw the, the pillar of fire at night, they saw the cloud of God by day as God led them along. Why wouldn't they fight? Because they were complacent. They, they were okay. Uh, they, they were just settling in next to their foes. Verse 33, let's keep going. The tribe of Naphtali chose to disobey the clear command of God even though they walked through with the rest of Israel as the Red Sea parted, they walked through on dry ground and they saw God work awesomely. Even though they saw that, they weren't willing to fight. They moved in next door to their rivals and they said, let's just do it the easy way. Let's do it the easy way. Uh, verse 34 when the Amorites saw the complacency, how comfortable and contented the children of Israel were, 
the Amorites went on the attack. They said, these guys, they're, they're not willing to fight, so they drove out the tribe of Dan out of their land and made them go hide up in the hills because they weren't willing to fight. Most of the tribes of Israel didn't take God seriously. Okay, Most of the tribes of Israel didn't recognize how serious the threat was to them and their faith in Jehovah God. They didn't realize that these pagan nations posed a huge threat to this fragile bunch of misfits, because that's really what they were. Instead of pressing on and finishing the job, they just settled next to their pagan neighbors, and they began to adopt the morals and they worship the idols of the people that they settle next to. Here's what they thought. We're okay with a B plus. I'm okay. I don't need full and total victory. I'm pretty cozy with a B plus. But slowly their B plus, you're going to see in the coming weeks, deteriorates to a C minus and then to a D. And over time it morphed into complete failure. You understand? So started as a B plus, but slowly they are content. They've got it on cruise control. Their spiritual life is lukewarm. And the result that we're going to see in the weeks ahead, Judges 17.6, Judges 21.25, in those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. That's what it turns into over time. They were comfortable. They were cozy. They were settled. But pretty soon everybody's making up their own rules, living exactly as they make up in their own minds. Here's what I know. I'm convinced that just as the tribes of Israel got comfortable and content and complacent, track with me, it's tempting for followers of Jesus to follow that same pattern. It's tempting for entire churches to follow this same pattern. We see the Lord do great and mighty things. We grow. We see fruit. God's work is in our midst. The Lord blesses our efforts. And then slowly, almost imperceptibly, over time, we just start cooling off a bit. And slowly but surely, uh, we're okay with a B plus. I still love Jesus. He's working in my life. I'm, I'm secure in Christ. I still serve the Lord, just not as much as I used to. I, I, I still give to the kingdom of Christ, just not as sacrificially as I once did. I still read God's Word most days. I'm just not as hungry for God's book as I used to be. You understand, we don't press quite as hard as we used to. I call this silver medal syndrome. Silver medal syndrome. In other words, we, we had the gold for a while, 
but I, I think I'm okay with the silver medal. I, I think I'm okay with, with, with second place. It's pretty good, you know. And even if I get a bronze, you know what? We're still beating most everybody else. So we're going pretty fast, and we're walking pretty good, but I'm just going to put it on cruise control. How many of you like cruise control when you can? I know I do, and, and I'm really busy now, and, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to someday soon I'll put it back and, and put the pedal to the metal again for Jesus. Here's what Paul reminds the church in Walloon. Here, here's what I think Paul would say to these people in the book of Judges. Put it up here, Dan. Philippians 3, verses 12 to 14. Why don't you read along with me, would you? Here we go. I, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, Forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Powerful words. Paul's been arrested. Paul is now uh, in prison in Rome when he writes these words. Paul is literally chained night and day to a Roman guard. If anybody in all of church history deserved to take it easy and coast, if anybody deserved to relax and slow down, it was Paul. <laughs> okay, Paul's philosophy, verse 12, I've not already arrived. I'm, I'm not perfect yet. I'm not yet taking hold of the prize. The reason I run so hard in this Christian life, he says, is because Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. Christ Jesus possesses me, he says. Jesus chased me down and grabbed a hold of my life. Jesus has shaken my life up and turned me upside down for the better because Jesus chased after me, catch this, now I chase after Jesus. Does that not make sense? He chased after me, now I chase after him. Why do we run the race called the Christian life? Why should we keep straining and pushing and striving? We run, we race, you ready? Because Jesus ran and chased after us. He chased after you, Myron. He chased after me. It's not about me. It's because Jesus first loved me. Okay? It's not that we're perfect. <laughs> None of us are. It's that we run and we chase after the perfect one. Who is the perfect one? Christ Jesus, our King. He's the one. He's the reason we don't slow down. We're not satisfied with the B+. Luke 9:62 here's what Jesus warns us about anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then's always looking back is not fit for the kingdom of God so we have both Paul and Jesus encouraging us press on 
Don't get too comfortable. Don't get too content. Both Jesus and Paul cheering us on. Don't quit. Press on forward. Don't settle. Lukewarm. It's not good enough. Please don't settle for that. So what can we do to not follow the pattern of the children of Israel? What is it? What can we do for us not to settle? How can we stay hot and excited and passionate in our journey for Christ? Okay? I want to put up Hebrews 12.1. Because the writer warns us, you're going to be tempted to slow down. You're going to be tempted in running this race called life. Here's what he says. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let's strip off every weight that slows us down. Throw every weight, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. There are weights there are sins that slow us down and hinder us from running and pressing forward for King Jesus. Okay? Stuff, even good stuff, he said, this needs to be thrown off. This needs to be stripped away so I don't grow content and comfy and cozy and settle. Okay? Three weights that need to be stripped off to avoid silver metal syndrome. Okay, here's the first weight. Taking notes. Weight number one, how do I avoid not getting comfortable and apathetic and content and getting lukewarm in pressing forward with Christ? Paul says, Philippians 3.13, I press on toward the goal, toward the prize. This one thing I do, Paul says, here's my focus, here's my attention. Can I suggest, Gamiris, that most of us are involved in too many things? That's part of our issue. Paul says this one thing. We're involved in lots of nice and good things, but oftentimes we're not very effective at any of them. Uh, Paul says, I focus on this one thing. I think he's saying the main thing is to keep, say it with me, the main thing what? The main thing, okay? In D.L. Moody's biography, he tells of D.L. Moody's life before the Great Chicago Fire. And he says, D.L. Moody was involved in dozens of, he was involved in Sunday school and, and starting a college. And he was involved in orphanages and starting the YMCA and lots of church work. After the Great Chicago Fire, D.L. Moody reassessed his life and he said, Lord, would you show me show me what the main thing is? I want to give the rest of my life to the main thing. And he focused on evangelistic meetings and that was his main thing and the result was that millions of people heard and came to know Jesus Christ. Why? Because he was focused on the main thing. Many of us are trying to do too many things, and we're winding up not doing any of them really all that well. Scattered, not pressing forward in the main thing. 
And when we're not doing anything really well, track with me, uh, I'm okay with a B plus because I got a lot going. I got lots of plates. And then we got C's and D's in some areas. I'm just telling you, okay is not good enough for the kingdom of Christ. So, so here's my question. What things in your life do you need to say, Lord, show me? <laughs> if there's things that I just need to quit, it's not the main thing, because I want to press in, Lord. I want to give it all to the main thing. So show me what the main thing is, and Lord, I'm going to make that the main thing in my life. That's throwing off weights, stripping off things that slow us down for the race of Christ. Second area that we need to be more and more aware of um, to strip off, and this is kind of new to me, so here we go. Uh, Do you regularly have a 24-hour period where you cease work and actually rest and enjoy your life? Well, yeah, I have a, a day off. That's not what I'm talking about. Uh, The Church Board of Elders and and I, we finished up this book. Put that up there. The Emotionally Healthy Leader by Peter Scazzari. In his book, he challenged us to stop working one day every week for 24 hours. Enjoy the rest that God created us for. I need to tell you, this pastor hasn't done that that well. Okay. Uh, yeah, I most weeks would take a day off, but most weeks when I'm taking my day off, Dick, I, I would answer emails and texts. I'd visit people in the hospital and pay bills and uh, get ahead on next Sunday's message. Here's what I've learned. Give me your eyes. I'm not talking about being legalistic and lots of rules, but unless I, unless we regularly get rested and recharged with a day each week as God has prescribed, we lose steam. We lose passion. We lose focus even on the main things. We're too tired and weary to press on and to push and do it God's way. So, I need to challenge you and challenge me. Identify a 24 our block of time where you can begin to discover what you delight in. This is actually a blessing, a delight. Things that you could look forward to doing for 24 hours where you don't have to work. Read, hike, bike, motorcycle, ski, feast. I'm for that. Napping. I'm for that. Fishing, going out to eat. You name it. This is not work. Things that you look forward to. Because when we're worn out and exhausted, we start settling for bees. We get lukewarm. God's way to keep us fresh, it's been this way from the beginning, to keep our batteries recharged and our tanks filled, is every week cease working one day out of seven. That, that's God's way. It's the way he's intended since the beginning. I mean, you're just now getting that lesson. Well, some of us are slow learners. Third area, we must be alert and on guard, okay? So complacency and apathy don't grab a hold of us. So we don't get entangled, okay? Here's my question. In what areas 
And what areas of your life have you gotten so close to the Amorites and the Canaanites around you that you've started worshiping their idols? In what areas have you gotten so comfortable with Amorite music that it's become your favorite form of music? Uh, In what areas are you binging on Canaanite videos and movies, hooked on Philistine novels, that now you're behaving and living and thinking and speaking like the unchurched that are all around us? There's really no difference to how we live than how they live. Judges 1 verse 34. I just want to show you something real fast. When they wanted to take the shortcut, the easy way, instead of doing it God's way, as for the tribe of Dan, the Amorites forced them back into the hills and wouldn't even let them come down into the land God had given. Jehovah God promised his people again, and I'll give you, if you'll just trust me, I'll fight on your behalf. Victory is a sure thing. I've given you the land flowing with milk and honey, and instead of taking the land, we're gonna we got it the easy way. We're gonna we're gonna we're just gonna make peace with the pagan neighbors and, and the Amorites saw there's no fight in them and they ran them out of town. And now they're hiding in the hills, and now the Amorites are enjoying the land flowing with milk and honey. Their dilemma started when they were content to live with their pagan neighbors. Yeah, we're going to live just like, we're going to live in compromise just like them. They were unwilling to fight and take what the Lord had promised them. So here's my question as we close. In what areas are you okay living like the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Philistines around you? In what areas... You know you could be enjoying A+, but you know it's just so much easier. It's so much more comfortable just going along and getting along. Do you remember what Jesus said to that kind of thinking? Revelation 3.16. He says, But since you are lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Jesus says, When you live that way, it makes me sick to my stomach. I don't want my kids living lukewarm, apathetic, cozy, complacent lives. That's not how I've I've called you to live. I, I want you to live strong for me. So are you pressing forward? Are you making a difference for Jesus and his kingdom? Are you straining toward the goal with all you got? Or is it possible you're just kind of coasting these days? Gotten pretty complacent, drifting backwards, content, comfortable, and you're pretty used to lukewarm, and that's okay. You're either marching forward with all you got, or you're going backwards. There is no middle ground. Let's pray. Lord, uh, would you speak? We're listening. We need to hear from you. Would you make it clear if there are some areas where we've grown content and complacent and comfortable and cozy? 
Am I too busy rushing and neglected the main thing? Would you make that clear, Lord? When's the last time I took 24 hours and totally ceased from work and just got recharged and refilled and enjoyed the delight that you've created us for? Finally, Lord, have I gotten too cozy and comfortable in this fallen world? Too close to the Amorites? Speak, Lord, we're listening. Is it possible that you're listening here, watching us online, or maybe here in person, but you don't know Jesus personally? <laughs> John 1.12 reminds us, but to all who believed in Jesus and accepted Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. <laughs> wow, what a verse. Have you believed? The cross, the shed blood of Christ to cover our sin, in the tomb, dead arose victoriously. Have you believed? Have you accepted Jesus? Welcomed him into your life? It says that's how you get the right to become a child of Christ. We love you, Lord. Might no one here in person or watching online leave without believing in you, Jesus, and receiving and accepting you and becoming a child of Christ. We love you, Lord. We're rich, and uh, you chase after us. Help us to chase after you. In Jesus' awesome name we pray.